Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in, zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest, y'all, oh, I am excited for this one. Uh, we belong to a uh, mastermind group uh, on Voxer where all of us are talking about business and entrepreneurship and getting to the next level. And I've been able to hear her gems and hear her talk about the things that she's doing. And I wanted to have her on the show to talk about her journey and some of the things uh, that she's doing. Uh, because with this podcast, as you know, we're always talking about educators making the income and the impact. Uh, so for those who'll be listening on this podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Supercast, Citrus, Spotify, and Audible, will you please introduce yourself, Dr. Nicolette James? Yes, I will. Thank you so much, Dr. Will, for having me with you here this afternoon. Um, as you stated, my name is Dr. Nicolette James, and I come to you from New York by way of Long Island and Queens. And uh, I am an educator. I'm a longtime educator, classroom instructor, building administrator. I'm the head of the English department in my high school, secondary high school. I also adjunct at a few local universities in my area as well. I'm here today to talk to you about my journey, um, building my business, Empowered Education, and everything that comes along with that. So again, I'm happy to be here with you today to talk about all of that. All right, alhamdulillah. Look, I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you'd be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in education? Hmm. Okay, well, to hear my mom tell it, um, I, I always knew I was going to be an educator. She says I, I came out with uh, an eraser and chalk in my hand, which is kind of dating me at this time because nobody's using eraser and chalk. <laughs> so, But she says that that was, she just knew from the beginning. And I kind of just knew I was always going to be an educator. I think I have an educator personality. I'm always um, ready to share and um, and to teach and coach with someone about something. And so just being that that has always been my nature, I've always just been involved in that aspect of, of, of life, just educating, coaching, mentoring, and so forth. And so it was just a natural progression for me. But the other part that was um, sort of right hand in hand with that is just my entrepreneurial spirit. Like I've always just wanted to do something where it was me engaged in uh, a business in some way where I am sharing and providing value for others through whatever it is that I'm, I am, whatever it is that I'm sharing, but there was some type of business model to it. And I've always just been trying to make that work from my very first lemonade stand to, to now what I'm doing with my, with my business now. All right. So please share with us your journey. You mentioned in your introduction, you have your company empowered education, uh, tell us about your journey and what motivated you to make this pivot. Okay, well, I've I've always been interested in supporting others. As I said, that was just that was just the way I I rolled always. And so, in working and growing up with around um, women, strong women in the youth, 
I just wanted to continue on that path. And so originally I was working with young women and I, I created and cultivated a lot of different girl groups and such. So I started out with those young women's leadership clubs and groups and teams. And that's sort of where the business idea came from, because then I turned that into a business called Empowered Women and Girls. And that's sort of the umbrella business of my businesses, because that was before it really involved the educators portion. And I was just working with the young ladies on leadership and um, and womanhood and all of those things. And then from there, that's when the pivot actually happened, because in working with the with the young women, I started working with more um, educators around working with the young women. And then that was the genesis of Empowered Education. And from there, it just sort of blossomed into educators, teachers, and students, and, and not only working with young women, but just working with educators and students in general around some of the same ideas, leadership, wellness, holistic health, goals, success, and so forth. And so Empowered Education then segued into intentional educators, which is sort of my focus right now, is working with other educators on, as you say, leveling up themselves, living our best lives as educators, and then also embodying and modeling that for our students so that they also will then walk in that same um, direction. Mm, I love that. I love that uh, so much because I've gotten... Uh, pushback in the work that I'm doing because even when I talk to educators about this entrepreneurial uh journey having this entrepreneurial spirit I tell them that this isn't only about you creating a business this is about you taking control over your life and your career and even if you don't want to become an entrepreneur having that control, thinking about what you want in life and what serves you and walking away from things that don't serve you is important. Mm -hmm. So it's awesome to hear you talk about this. Now, on your website, you know, I, I see the wellness, I see the yoga, and then it got me thinking and like, okay, okay, like how did this happen? Because the stereotype mm -hmm. of yoga, people don't look like us, right? Right. <laughs> Uh, and so how did you get turned on to yoga? Okay, well, I'll just say that more more people are looking like us now <laughs> in <laughs> yoga, um, especially since the pandemic. You know, a lot of people have, have gotten into the wellness space uh, via the pandemic and COVID and staying home and, and then trying to just keep their minds right and so forth. So a lot of people have found their way to this work, which I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. Not happy that it took a pandemic and COVID to have that happen, but definitely to put it on the front burner. So more people have eyes on it. More people are open to holistic health and wellness, even though it has been something that should have been front and center from day one, because education is all about people. It's about people. It's about kids. It's about human beings. And so holistic health should be um, front and center when we're talking about education because we all know that we are speaking about the education of humans and the human comes first. The human being comes first so that we can be and then we do. So all of that has to do with holistic, holistic health and wellness. And so now the whole boom on holistic health and wellness 
is here. And in, in that, I feel that some of it is being lost in a lot of, um, of language and now just commodification mm-hmm. the way most things go once it does become very popular. But um, so I just want to say that, yes, more of us, more of us are involved in it now. But how did I get turned onto it? Um, well, I have I've always been one for um, for holistic health. I believe that, again, just like I said, to to do well, we have to be well. And, and that being is in ourself, in our in our spirit, in our in our mentality, emotionally, socially, all of that. And so if we are well in our body physically, you know, then if we're well in our mind, then we can do well with all of the things that we have to do. One of the ways that we are well in our body is by paying attention to our physical health. So our physical physical health is very important because this vehicle is the one we, we take around with us. It takes us around. It gets us to where we have to go to do all the things that we have to do throughout this life. So we know that we have to take care of this physical being. And we also have to take care of our mind because that is what we use to think and, and do and all of those things. And one of the practices that does involve both the the mind and the body is yoga. And so as a certified physical therapist, I've always been into um, health and actual, you know, strength training and cardio and all of those things. But there's also another aspect of physical movement, which is not the traditional cardio, not the traditional strength training and so forth, but something that helps us to bring in both aspects of mind and body wellness. So it all just played a part because I am a very spiritual person. I'm always looking for ways to incorporate mind, body, and spirit, mind, body, and spirit. And yoga is one of the ways to, to do that. That's all right. It's all right. It is. Um, I've had <clears throat> other teachers come on and uh, a couple talk about, about yoga. And I've asked them about it. I'm like, cause I've, you know, I've never done anything, but of course you see what some folks be, you know, they do. And I'm like, ooh, that look like that hurt a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I was like, ooh, I don't know right. about all that now. Uh, but, you know, they say, oh, yeah, there's different ways, you know, right. uh, to, to, to do it. And, you know, you just work your way up. You know, no one starts out doing all that. Mm-hmm. I said, like, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so one of the things that if you don't have a business background and you did not go to school for business. What educators don't know, but we'll find out once you get into this game is about building systems, right? Because a lot of people that I know who do this work, myself included, there was no intention behind it. You got you got caught off guard because someone approached you at a conference and they say, hey, do you do this? And you're like, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I, I do this. Uh, what are your rates? And you're thinking rates and then you get that first check and you're like oh there might be something here but now you have to turn that one gig that one surprise into a real business and that means building systems and and putting things together to where it is an actually an actual business so talk to us about what you did to start building systems in your business and how does it contribute uh to your success. Okay. Well, so interesting that you worded it that way, because that is exactly what happened to me. And I guess that's the experience that many entrepreneurs have as well, because when I, when I turned my, 
um, knowledge and experience into a business, it was just like that. It was someone saying to me, oh, why don't you? And then the rest followed. So, and then if I can just pause on that story, just to bring this in Mm -hmm. so that I can tie it together. So, um, part of what I was doing all along in, in working with the young women and so forth was putting together these organizational systems that I used with them. And then I would share with them how to organize, how to plan, how to arrange your your life so that you can be successful. And so I was modeling for them the systems of organization that I used as a, because like I said, I wear many hats, even in my, my own school building, I do a lot of different things. And as we know, if you are a busy person, the key to that success is being uber organized. So I had everything all systematized and so forth. And I would share this with my with my department, because again, as I said, I'm the head of the English department, I would share it with my department members, and I would share it with the young ladies. And one of my colleagues said to me, she said, why don't you put this all together, package it and sell it, you know, to to people, instead of just doing it yourself and 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 sharing it that way. And I was like, hmm. So I thought about it for a little while. She asked me to make her one because I had these binder systems and and different things that I I would just craft from, you know, pulling things from the supply store and and other places. And she she asked me to put put one together for her. So I made one for her. Another person in, in school asked me to make one. And then I was making them, like manually putting them together and taking orders to put these organizational systems together for the educators and for their students. And then one thing led to another. And she was like, you know what, instead of doing this by hand, look into finding a way to put this together into a a planner. And I did. And that's when my planners were born, so to speak. And so from there, I started um, designing and printing and publishing my planners and journals and so forth. And then that's when I started to figure that, okay, I need, I need to I need to put this into a system, like you said, that um, works as a as a business. And that part is still is still a struggle for me. To be honest, it's still a struggle for me because I am I am a full time educator. I am not a full time business person. I'm a full time educator doing all of the things that full time educators do. And as any educator knows, so you do not leave your job at the job. It comes with you after there are things that need to happen in the PM, you know, portion of your your evening in order to function the next day and so forth. So there's a lot that still goes on there. So I have not um, given the full focus to the business aspect of it. So I mm-hmm. still struggle in in um, creating those systems for um, for growing it and scaling it and so forth. I hear you. I hear, and, and I'm still... You know, systems are still something that I am building. Um, you know, I have uh, an invoice and stuff like that and, and a proposal template because I had to. <laughs> it was, again, I didn't go into this thing being intentional, but, you know, when, when that school or that university, that vendor says, well, we need an invoice, then it's like, you ain't getting paid without an invoice. Right. So at that point, it's like, I'm, I'm Googling Get an invoice together. And, and, you, know, you know, so so I can do that. And then, you know, just other stuff that that have come up that I just really didn't even think of ab- mm-hmm. about, you know, just kind of, I've had to learn as stuff has come up, right? And so that's one of the reasons why I'm writing my book right now yeah. is to get people to have foresight 
into what happens when you decide to make this happen. Like these are the things you have to look for, be aware of and do and not sort of get caught off guard as they happen. Right. Cause I've, I've done a lot of learning that way. Right. You know, things coming up. Cause I, ne- I never even thought about business insurance. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Tennessee, I got a gig from uh, Tennessee state uh, university. And as I was filling out that paperwork to become a recognized vendor, it was like, are you, do you have business insurance? And I was like, mm. Mm, yeah, I don't, but I'm going to say I do. And then I called up Allstate and I said, look, right. I need some insurance, y'all. All right. I got home and auto with you. I need some insurance. And then I got a, a business policy, mm-hmm. but never thought about it until the issue came up. I will. I agree. I think much of much of what we learn and how we are learning it does come from just like on the spot training okay somebody says you you need this like you said it's like okay i may not have it this instance but i'm gonna get it and i'm gonna have it you know moving forward but we learn on as we go and then just sharing with those who are coming after luckily you know we are like you said we are in this group together we we talk a lot about these issues and we're able to learn about some of the things that others have already gone through and experienced and can say you know this is what you'll need and as you said now you have your your book coming out which is going to highlight some of those things so that everybody doesn't have to go through this the same way you know for forever with this that's all right now another thing that that comes up and i am oh, i'm still learning uh still growing because I don't know how to sort of explain things when I'm working with a graphic designer or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. I have sort of ideals, ideas and ideals that I want to uh, promote. I just say, okay, this, and then they give me stuff and then I go, okay, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. Or uh, I like this, but add this or take away this or take away that. and this whole marketing aspect of your business and uh, branding. And even though a lot of times people associate your brand with a color, a logo, your brand is really about an ethos. It's really about a culture. It's really about a feeling, a vibe. What are people saying and feeling about you and your company and the the work that you're doing? When you decided, right, this was something that I was going to do for real, to be intentional about, okay, now this is a business that I'm trying to build. How did you approach marketing and branding? What have you been doing? What strategies have you found to be most effective in reaching your audience? Okay, so I'm going to talk about the branding first because I feel like the, the branding is separate and different and very different from the marketing. So in mm-hmm. terms of branding, when you think about, you know, well, what is the ethos, right, of a business or a company or a person, a, a solopreneur, and how do you communicate that in terms of just what you put out there visually, what you what you say? I feel that my branding is very much me. So unlike the approach that you just mentioned where, you know, you're not too sure about what you want to say or how you want it to look. But if you generate some things or someone generates something, you can say, oh, I like that. I don't like that. For me, that I, I love design myself. I, um, I, 
I like the aesthetic um, nature of things. I like to put together things that are visual, visually compelling and um, aesthetically beautiful and so forth. So I like playing with all that stuff myself. So I feel that my branding is very personal. I design, you know, what I would like my brands and, and um, things to look like, my logos and all of that. And then I work on on that. I get some feedback from my friends. We work on it together. I say, does this sound like what I want it to sound like? Does this look like me? Does this communicate what I'm all about? Get some feedback on that. And then and then I go from there. And that's the same way with the design of my planners and my journals and so forth. The marketing piece. Now, the marketing piece, once I have all of that stuff in place, which is the, the fun part for me. I, I love branding. I love thinking about colors and, and words and how I'm going to say this and put this forward. All of that piece of cake. The marketing part is the challenging part, getting it out there, getting it out there, um, promoting it and so forth has always been a challenge for me because of social media, the social media aspect. We know that we live in an age of social media. Everybody is on it. Everybody is using it. I am not by nature a social media person. You know, I have my, my website. You can go there, as you said, and see, but I'm not a person who is, you know, here on, on TikTok today, on um, Instagram, on this one and that one and all of that all the time, you know, with the different things that, that you need to be out there saying and doing. So in that sense, marketing has been very challenging for me because that's where it's at. That's where most of it is. If you are now out there, I feel like you really aren't anywhere. People are not going to um, really know about you. And that's mm -hmm. one, one weakness in, in what I'm doing and something that I'm looking at trying to do to do better. So in terms of marketing, there's a lot more that I still can do. The branding, I feel like the branding is there. I'm pretty set on my, on my branding. But for marketing, I really need to be much more intentional with the social media, and then just relationship um, um, building, you know, getting out and, and meeting people, talking to folks, you know, finding out what people need, what do what do they want, and then being able to to share with them how I can support them in that. That's all right. That's all right. I I sent out a a message on Facebook. I didn't know on Twitter. And maybe I should do this on Twitter, but I put it on Facebook just to ask people, like, what do you think my brand is? Mm -hmm. And the people were said, entrepreneur. And I was like, hmm, that's not bad. I said, but all that tech stuff that I've been doing, that I've been getting paid for, I said, no one said anything about that. About that. And, I, and I think it's because on Twitter and then, you know, my podcast, what my podcast is about, I did that documentary, The Entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and me how i talk about and post things on twitter about financial literacy and entrepreneurship i do stuff about tech tech as well but i think that is starting to sit in with people mm -hmm. and people starting to see see that as you know as my lane and i'm like okay this is okay I, i'm like all right so because i was planning on sort of pivoting from from the tech anyway uh, because I don't want to, I had a friend of mine, uh, Dr. House tell me that you want to be an influencer. You don't want to fix. Hmm. Right. Because a lot of times when it comes to the work that a consultant and a coach does, 
a lot of school districts bring folks in to fix problems, right? And not to be an influencer on on the culture to make that type of impact. And those are totally, that's totally different type of work. And emotionally, that's different. I, I'm done fixing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to fix, I don't want you to bring me in as a fixer because that's what I've, that's all my work has been being. And that's exhausting work. You know, to come in, they're not using this. They're not doing that. They're not doing this. As opposed to trying to build up a culture. Like, you know what I'm saying? When you're trying to build something and uh, bring a spark to something that's totally different from fixing. So I'm like, I'm out the fixing game because yeah. that that's exhausting. And it's also an approach too, like you said, if it's coming from a deficit model where you're thinking about things that are broken, you know, let's stop thinking about things that are broken. What about what you have and how we can capitalize and, and optimize what you do have and build on it, you know, instead of looking at, looking at it more asset-based than deficit-based. And one of the things that you said that I just want to go back to mm -hmm. about, your, um, about your brand is that it's funny when, when we do ask for feedback and you get that and it's like, wait. But wait, that's not, you think to yourself, well, that's not really what I do, is it? But that's what people, that's what people see you at, for. That's what they recognize when they hear this thing, they think of you. And so that's what we need to lean into. And as you said, if you're out here doing the other things that you were doing, but that's not really what was sticking with folks, then you need to go with what sticks. If they were thinking about uh, entrepreneur and and you come to mind, well, then that's the that's the work of influence. That's where you are influencing them because that's what they're thinking of. And so, pivoting to that or going with that, whatever it is that people say, oh, this is this is your brand or this is what I'm thinking of when I think of you. Then you know, well, hey, then okay, that's my that's my brand because that's what I'm consistently putting out there. That's what people are getting. From me, so it's it's interesting that you that you shared that about yourself as well. Yeah, it it was and and eye opening because I've been definitely thinking about uh again just pivoting away from it and or adding entrepreneurial thinking in how do you use technology mm -hmm. because what I've been doing you know it's it's just it's really difficult it's really exhausting to try to work with people who don't want to, right? There's a difference between I don't know and I don't want to know and I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And when you have to work with people or an organization where they don't want to. Yeah, that's exhausting. That is, you just coming in, doing what you're doing and getting your check and walking out. Now, not to say that you, you want to impact some people because I've had uh, my reviews I got my receipts, you know, because yeah, I make sure <laughs> you get your uh, your feedback at the end. So I have good stuff to to share, but it's just one of those things to where it's like you you feel you feel like Master P selling CDs out the trunk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like I'm trying to get I'm trying to get this out here, and and instead of people wanting to be different. Right. Wanting to, you know, wanting to see technology as a way to reimagine what they're what they're doing, because I've just had conversations uh, with teachers about just 
sort of their thinking process. And along the way, it was entrepreneurial thinking. I just hadn't defined it, but it was just sort of their whole approach to technology and, and what they were doing. And I was like, man, this is just, this is exhausting to just hear you talk. It's exhausting to, I'm going to get myself in trouble as people listen to this, but this is exhausting to work with you because it's just fighting, right? It's just, it's just, it's just fighting, you know, it's, well, how can I do this? Or I teach this grade, I can't do this. Or my students can't do that. And I'm like, your kids are already playing on video games. They're already on the phone. They're already doing this stuff. If you if they can log into a phone, they can log into a Chromebook, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're giving me all these reasons not to do something because you don't want to. And I'm like, Will is done. I <laughs> I have I have waved the right the 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 white flag. I'm done with all that. Uh, so. <laughs> Well, well, speaking from just my, my experience with that, because I, I was very much involved in, in ed tech and so forth for, for a long time. That was my, my passion place. I was in love with all things and still am to a degree, all things technology and, and early adopter of, of everything and anything that had to do with technology and have been working with teachers and students doing um, PD on technology for a long time. Then boom, the pandemic came and I was dancing a jig because it then, not for the pandemic, obviously, but for the, the opportunity to now have teachers actually want to learn everything that we have been teaching and sharing and trying to get them to do for many years before. And now it's like, okay, now you almost have to. Mm-hmm. So rooms were packed. Um, Google sessions were filled. Everybody had hand, you know, hand book in hand and pens ready to go with everything that we had been sharing with them for a long time. But it was like, ah, I didn't even do that. Da, 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 da. Now here you go. You have to. And so that was a that was a great opportunity for technology and for teaching technology and and the PD around technology and trying to be transformational in terms of what can be done with students, how learning can be transformed through the use of technology and so forth. So I get all of that. But then by the same token, then what ended up happening after and what I still continue to see now is an over-reliance on using technology and not necessarily using it intentionally or in a transformative or innovative way at at all. It's just, okay, here we go. We have a laptop and you're going to be on it. And that's it. And that's that's still not what it's all about. You know, it's about using technology to transform education, not just to do something in a laptop as opposed to doing it on pen and paper. You know, so what what has shifted there in terms of audience now is like, okay, well now people are kind of like oversaturated with technology and using technology in, in school for education. And then boom, we have new technologies again, like here comes chat GPT and AI and all of the things that, that go with that. And now how do we, where are we with that and bringing that into our learning space and thinking about how to move forward with technology and not just technology, because it's not just technology, but also SEL and holistic health and and equity and inclusion and all of those things, how do all of those pieces come together in a culturally responsive way that we can educate students to go out there and, and be who we need them to be? So all of those things just raise more and more questions for us to talk about. 
Well, and hey, and we're gonna definitely uh get into that. And I love who I love the tie-in with everything. Uh now you you and this is something that man, I really had to learn. And everybody again who you know you stumble across this is what do I charge people? Mm. Right. <laughs> so my first paid gig was six hours of Google training and I got paid $2,800 for that. My first gig. And I was so excited, you know, because after, uh, take home, you know, like when you get to check and they take out the taxes and insurance and, and all the other stuff, you know, I was like, this first check, this ain't too far off from a regular check. I said, whoo, this is going to be nice. But from then, it's like, how do you price things, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Whether it be, you know, you, like, I, I have this book. It's like, what am I going to charge for this book, uh, inshallah, when it is it is ready to go? Uh, you have your your planners. Like, what do you charge for the planners? And, of course, they're, they're your sessions. And then you hear these things of, yesterday's price ain't today's price so how do you know when to raise you know your rates so as you are doing this work how do you figure out the pricing of your products and services and and what factors do you consider and given the people that we work with mm -hmm. and not to say they ain't school dishes who throwing out money because i know there's some school dishes out there you know giving ten thousand fifteen thousand dollars for a keynote etc um, how do you balance is, or is that on your mind to think I need to strike a balance between affordability and profit? It is on my mind. And it, it's, it's another one of those struggle areas. And I think for me, because what I am doing with my business is something that I, that I really love and could do with without a business like i i would be happy to do exactly what i'm doing for no pay because i truly believe in it i i love doing it i love working with people i love providing what i provide for them so much so that i would do it for free and and i've always learned that work is what we do so that we can do what we love and that we just need the money to be able to 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 live and so for me, when I'm doing what I do, it is hard for me to think about the pricing because I want to be able to do it for as many people who are interested in it. But as many people who are interested in it always cannot necessarily afford it. If I'm thinking about working with school districts, school districts are a different thing. School districts have their budgets, they have their money and so forth. And so in thinking about how much to to charge like for example when i would do um tech pds I've, I've been doing pds for a very long time there usually is a pricing range for it and it was always through some other venue so not just me saying oh here i am and this is my price so i'm sort of used to whatever that pricing structure is providing pd through another um venue and so just having that price in my mind was what I would use to say, well, okay, as an individual, and now I'm offering this PD, this is how much I would offer. But I'm still always um, reluctant to, I would say, increase or to go higher or just to say, well, with total complete confidence, this is how much I'm charging. Because again, you're questioning, well, the value of what I'm sharing as 
a, a solopreneur versus when if I'm working with a, a company or someone else who who is better known, um, more popular, whatever, insert the word here, and knows that, okay, this is how much they can charge. So it is, it is hard. It is really hard for me to think about pricing. Because I have products, that part is not difficult because products cost a certain amount to, to make, you know, and then you have to make back that money. So it has to be a certain price in order to, to sell it for any kind of profitability. So for the products, I have no questions about that, but in the service, in terms of coaching and PD, I'm always thinking about how do I strike a balance between affordability because I want it to be affordable for the people and the kids who look like me, who are like me, who need what I have to, to offer and the availability for them to, to pay for it and, and, and receive it. That's so hard. And what do I do? I speak to other people who I know are also out there providing PD, ask them how much they charge and so forth, and then try to come up with a comfortable price for myself. Hey, it's, I love that strategy because, you know, I know people who have been on committees to bring some of these people we know on Twitter in. So I've been hip to the game about, oh, you need to be charging this or I've had one person tell me flat out you need to raise your rates because I know what so and so gave us a quote for right like you got like you got this gig good for your brother you getting paid but I know what so and so when that stuff came across our desk I know what they wanted to get paid mm -hmm. or you know having other people go Hey, you know, I get paid this, or I know so and so get paid that, and I'm like, oh, for real? That's okay. All right, all right. So I know folks. That's some folks getting paid some real serious money for a short amount of time, right? They they ain't they not on this grind, right? They're not. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to this conference and do eight sessions or whatever. I'm going to do a keynote, a couple of sessions, and they got big money coming out from that day. So, um. It's good to hear, right? It's good to hear. It's good to know in order for me to see how I do, you know, my prices. And because that's the first thing I think of when people talk about equity, because I have no experience with that. That's that's not my um, expertise in the classroom, but I think about equity in the, in the consulting money. Because mm -hmm. some of us are getting paid, you know, $1,500 and someone's getting paid Fifteen thousand dollars, and I'm like, mm -hmm. I think I think a lot of it has to do with just the individual's confidence in in asking for an amount, you know, and just saying this is this is how much it is. People they they will pay for it. Sometimes people pay more. I know in some of the the courses that I've I've taken my business, they say that people. They, they value things more when they pay more for it, you know? Wow. So you can be out here thinking, well, okay, I'm, I'm giving it for this price, you know, which is more affordable because I, like I said, because I want people to afford it, but because it isn't a particularly high price, they might not value it. You know, they will turn around and go with the person who's charging however much they're charging because they think, well, there must be more value in that. So sometimes we also have to be confident enough to know and, 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 
to know that what we are providing is much more valuable than we are putting a price tag on and to be able to say, this is how much this is worth, you know? And again, all of that is arbitrary and subjective, but to be able to say, listen, this is how much this is worth and you take it or leave it. And we'd be surprised that a, a lot of people will, will take it. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you also got to be say no. Like you always got to be able to say no and walk and walk away. Cause I've had people reach out to me about stuff where I knew financially they were trying to do me in. Mm -hmm. And I said, Nope, I, I can't, I can't do it. Uh, one, someone reached out to me about delivering some sessions on podcasting. And I was like, well, what are you, what are your rates? So my first question, and it was like, well, we can't, we can't pay you. I said, well, uh, no, now I can, I said, now this is online. So I can moderate a panel. I'll, I'll moderate a panel for free. Cause that's not, going to take me really any any work to do um but if you want me to do a session which means i have to, i need a, a slide deck and resources and all of that stuff i'm gonna need a check mm -hmm. right and he said well we'll give you free admission to the conference nope mm -hmm. i'll pay for the conference if i want to uh it was an tech conference by the way so i can go to my school district mm -hmm. and ask them to pay for it so that was a no mm -hmm. Because you are not going to get me out there uh, so that you could put my name. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm on the Mount Rushmore of names people are trying to holler at. But when you put my name on, on, on that page that says I'm delivering this session. I want people to know that that means something. like your name means something. Right. And so don't get <laughs> don't let people come at you with the exposure. Uh, line right well he didn't say exposure but they said free admission to the conference so that wasn't enough for me so I just like yo I'm gonna right. almost like if okay well they're doing you a favor by allowing you to come to the conference for free yeah but in the meantime you are providing the value for the conference so there should be there should be some pay for that and that's not to say that everything we do has to be um paid for if there's something that you are interested in doing pro bono because you are interested in doing that pro bono, then that that's fine too. But then we also have to know, is this, is this going to be worth my time? As you said, I'm creating resources, a slide deck, all of this sort of thing. Then yes, there, there should be some kind of compensation for that too. And it's knowing, like you said, when to, when to say no too, because that also means that there's, that there's value there and, and that just can't be given away, just given away. No doubt, no doubt. So let's get into the work that you have been doing with the work that you do. And one of the key uh, focuses of your work is promoting SEL, social emotional uh, learning for those who don't know. Uh, how do you first integrate those practices of SEL into your own business? And then how do you help other educators incorporate SEL into themselves so they can then go back and be better educators in the classroom? Okay, so um, that's a great question. Let me see if I can break that all down. So how do I incorporate SEL or social emotional holistic health principles into my own business? Well, again, in trying to be a person who practices what I preach, I do take it very seriously. I do believe in the complete 
integration of mind, body, and spirit wellness. And so I feel that it is critical for us to take care of all of these aspects of ourselves in order to, to be our best. We know that as educators, anybody involved in educators, when I say educate, I mean educators, administrators, anyone in this business of education knows how draining and taxing it is to work with, with individuals, you know, day after day in and out of the classroom, in the building, in the district and so forth. So it is very important for us to take care of our social, emotional, mental health. And so we need to carve out that, that time. We need to put the, the principles and practices in place that would allow us to do that so that we can continue to do it. If we don't do that, if we don't do that, then what happens to a lot of teachers, especially today with all the reports that are coming back, we know that the, there's a teacher shortage, that the pipeline for um, educators is, is not there as it once was. And we know that there is a high burnout rate in teachers. Within that first five years, a lot of people who go into education now is, is um, gravely reduced. And then of those who it's still reduced by, they opt out of education within the first five years. And it's all because they, they burn out. And that's because they are not necessarily addressing it from a social, emotional um, mindset. And so you have to do those things for yourself. So I put those things in practice for myself. My business is an extension of myself. So of course it would be, it would be a part of my business as well. And I try to incorporate that in, in all that I do because I feel like it's not, it's not just something to do. It's it's a, a state of being, it's how you approach everything with intentionality and um and integrity both of those those two pillars and if you approach everything that way then you are integrating SEL into everything into everything that you do how does that then transform into working with other people and doing it in their classroom well that's a little bit different because you can you can teach those SEL practices. So social emotional learning is just simply addressing the whole person, the student first as a person. So I have to check in with that person, not just with that student as a person who's in front of me trying to learn, in my case, English, but a person who is in front of me bringing their entire life experience, whatever they, they woke up with that morning to me today um, whatever day this is, and I have to then know how to reach that that student before I'm able to teach that student. So how do we go about that by learning how to connect not only academically but social and emotionally with individuals by tapping into ourselves first as individuals because we teach who we are, we bring who we are, we lead who we are, we bring who we are to our um, to whatever it is that we do professionally. And so we have to, to create that full being through social emotional work. And that's sort of what I do with teachers and students. Mm. <clears throat> now, I love that. And most school districts, I don't even say most, because I don't know that to be anecdotally factual. But mm -hmm. a lot of school districts don't do that type of PD with teachers. Mm -hmm. PD is generally about tech, testing, a PD they don't pay for, <laughs> or, or some sort of program or some sort of initiative, again, the district has paid for. And a lot of that 
still doesn't deal with what you talked about, sort of self-awareness with teachers and teachers checking in with themselves. And a lot of school districts do just a piss poor job and checking in with teachers and feeding them, you know, emotionally, right? And so how do you work with teachers to get them to do that? So like earlier you mentioned how you got really jiggy because this is what you, you're like, okay, this is game time. I have been talking about this for a long time. We get to do this work. I felt the same way when the pandemic hit. I was like, oh, this is about to be popping. And I had a great time, right? Yeah. And then the pandemic, uh, then we sort of started to, we kind of gradually as a school district came out the pandemic with some hybrid days mm -hmm, same. Uh, going on. And then, of course, it, it was like, okay, always uh, okay, here it is. Everybody in, all in, all in, blah, blah, blah. Then, of course, we have our COVID protocols and rules and et cetera. Uh, but then I started to know, notice teachers going back to what they were doing before. Now, I don't know if that was burnout or what they were doing just didn't stick. What I did know for me emotionally, it wasn't good because I'm all in on this stuff. Like I live this life. Mm -hmm. And when I saw like, oh, oh, so we, we ain't moving forward. We ain't growing. We ain't doing this. Uh, I ain't gonna lie. That took a toll on me emotionally for real. And you, I was, you, I was irritated. Your boy was irritated, and I was like, mm -mm, "This ain't, this ain't working for me." And the wife noticed, you know, some things were off, right? And I, and and I was like, "Yo, I, I need to see somebody." She said, "Maybe you do, mm -hmm. right?" And then so I, I went to therapy, mm -hmm. right? And one of the greatest things I took away from therapy is. I can only show up as myself, right? I don't direct district policy. I don't direct school policy. And I can't make anybody do anything. None of that is under my control. So there's no need for me to worry about it, right? I only can show up as myself. And as long as I can say that I am doing my best doing what I need to do, the outcomes, I need to let that go. Mm -hmm. And it took me, it took me a while to get to that point to where I can be like, all right, you know, if you don't want to do X, Y, and Z, excellent. Have a great day. Say it with a <laughs> smile, walk away and keep it moving and not allow that to uh, emotionally impact me. Because what, the teachers in my school district, sometimes I think they don't understand. Uh, and if any of y'all listen to this or the superintendent listen to it, please continue to listen as I explain this. Uh, just like they have these emotions with their own students. So-and-so don't, so-and-so ain't trying to learn or so-and-so don't want to learn or so whatever. Like whatever emotional uh, things that you have wrapped up going to your classroom, your own students, I have with you. I consider you to be my students. 
right? So when you come to my PD and you talking, all right, if you in the back talking and you on your phone, I'm getting, I'm feeling the same way you feeling with your students in your classroom when they do the same thing, right? So, and so emotionally, I was just not in a good place. Again, I went to therapy and now I'm real cool. I'm I'm focusing and my boss uh, told me to do this, but uh, I'm definitely focusing on the teachers who want to take that next step. And then for those who don't, I have conversations, you know, just to let them know I'm still available. I'm still around. I'm here. If you need me, I'm there. If they reach out, hey, I'm there. We keep it going. I keep it moving. But I don't allow myself to get attached to an outcome of. I want us to be at this place because that is not anything that I can control. And so as you are working with teachers who themselves, as you mentioned, are whole human beings. And whether it's things going on with their children, their spouse, their sibling, other family members, colleagues at work, children in the classroom, parents, what have you, how do you work with them to do that sort of check-in, that sort of self-awareness, that emotional work, so that they are not Okay, the impact, because to say that you're not impacted, that's not true, that the impact is lessened, right? So they do not walk around carrying a boulder. Right. Okay, well, that's the first, that's the first piece. And you already spoke to it. And the first piece is really knowing and recognizing and acknowledging that we can only control that which is within our control, which is is very little, <laughs> which is very little. But we we most of us who are educators, we get into education because we want to control, we want to influence, we want to impact, we want to impact, you know, the students. And and at times all of that gets wrapped up in what we think we can do. You you know, we think that we we carry, like you said, we carry that boulder, we're carrying that burden, thinking that, you know, that we have all of this control, all of this ability to impact and influence when, and we do, and we do, we have a tremendous ability to influence. And it's important for educators to keep that in mind that our every interaction with student ha students has the ability to impact the trajectory of their lives. But by the same token, we are not in control of the decisions that they make. And so we have to be very self-aware. We have to do a lot of, of awareness work for ourselves to know what it is that we are bringing with us to our instruction or to our leadership how we are communicating that, what we can control and what we cannot, so that we can we can release those burdens and let the people who need to do the work, because there's work to be done on the other side, we need to let those people do the work. And once you recognize what that work is, we can do our work. My work is different from my, my, my staff's work. My work is different from my students' work. And we need to be able to distinguish whose work is whose work so that each of us can do that work and we can feel good about what is being done about it and, and release what's not being done about it. Or maybe go back to the drawing board and think about how we can get that work done. But a lot of that first comes from, from work with self-awareness and, and who we are, how, heightening our own ability to observe and reflect. A lot of this is a lot of re reflection work, knowing how to think about 
what we're doing, where we want to go with it, and not just looking at um, data points, like not just looking at, at um, you know, testing and so forth. And because we all know how to do that. Look at that, where do we want to go? We want the kids to improve and so forth. But a lot of that happens by what we do before the test, before mm. we even start our instruction. It's looking at ourselves. It's being able to look at students as human beings and not just data points, you know, all of that is 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 central to that work. Mm, I hear you. I release it. Mm. I release it. I I work with grown people. I, I release it. Grown um, people have the same. They 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 bring the same exact things. You gave a wonderful example. The same thing. You're you're in a PD with folks, just like in a classroom with students. And and <laughs> what are a good number of them doing? They're sitting there on the phone. They're talking to the neighbor. They're doing the other things. And it's the it's the same thing. How do you how how do we work with that as as adults? Like you said, you're grown folks. You should know better. But again, a lot of it has to do with human to humans and how do we interact with with humans it's the same way we interact with humans who are you know adults humans who are kids we have to just tap into those same same places in them and engage them in whatever it is that we're trying to engage them in i hear you. i mean in, in situations like that I'm, I'm i'm now doing like oh my gosh classroom management stuff mm-hmm. so like do you hear my voice mm-hmm. that type mm-hmm. of stuff right so i'm doing that and it's <laughs> crazy to be doing that but i mean i'm doing that now and so now i'm like okay now y'all get it okay uh right. but the other stuff i just i release like mm-hmm. i i tell people down i like i when i did all of my trainings and i even spoke to an admin um last week uh he and i had a conversation he said okay some stuff isn't working in clever i said okay cool send me the the, the, the emails um but I told him, this is what I tell teachers, and I tell teachers this. I am not saying you be on the Chromebooks every day. I, I mean, all day. I say every day. Mm-hmm. Not all day, but every day. Because the, the what I tell them the issue is, uh, at, the, at the very least, kids need to know how to log in, how to find the instruction, how to do the instruction, how to submit the instruction. Because mm-hmm. what you don't want to wait for is them doing nothing, and now you have to do a diagnostic, or you got to do a standards mastery. Or you right, do a and hey, you're trying to do it and and figure out how to get in and do yes. whatever. Mm-hmm. That is not that is not the day, because if a kid gets that dreaded uh, message in clever, uh oh, that means something got to be fixed, right? Uh, because we have stuff sinks it sinks every night. Uh, so that ain't the day for you to be calling me. Saying uh Joshua ain't got no email address. Right. And I'm like, well, you like flavor flav. I can't do nothing for you, man. <laughs> can't do nothing for you. Not that day. I like can't not at that time. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> can't do nothing. Because <laughs> you know? Right. We should have known about this three weeks ago or three right. months ago. That's whatever. That's mm-hmm. what I do now. I release it. Because the old me allowed that anxiety to build up. Like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to fix this? Now, mm-hmm. I fix nothing. Because, I mean, not to say I don't do my job, because I do. No. Right. But the reason I say I don't fix nothing is, if you didn't do your part. Right. Okay? When Because we have, again, systems in place to, to, to automate a lot of things. Because, you know, you got 3,000 
student, three three thousand so students. We got all these faculty members. I mean, to manually do a lot of this stuff. And there are certain things I do manually because uh, of how I like Schoology to run. Mm -hmm. But uh, resetting student email addresses, I mean, resetting student email passwords, that is a manual process. Um, because, it, you know, of course, each student's e uh, email password needs to be unique, et cetera. But a lot, with, even with these automated things, and how they work, people got to do people part <laughs> with certain things, right? And so when that ain't done, you know, it is, it is, it is what it is. And so again, I, I try my best uh, to be very uh, kind and have a smile and be jovial. Uh, but the day of the diagnostic, you got to be ready to roll. Yeah, that's not the day to be calling me saying these three students can't get in. Now, unless those kids just register with the district. This morning. And, yeah, this morning. and that's different. And, but it, guess what? If they registered this morning, they ain't doing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't doing it. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, and so it took, again, me time. And it took me time to practice what I learned in therapy. Mm -hmm. And then again, so, you know, bringing aspects of my faith, you know, mm -hmm. so it's like, I ain't, I ain't, listen, I work there. And that's another thing I had to think about, right? Me, and, and in terms of me being sort of having that understanding of entrepreneurship and ownership, I work there. I don't own that school district. Mm -hmm. And so I am going to give them a lot of me. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to go above and beyond, you know, I'm going to take that phone call at six o'clock. Uh, I'm going to take that phone call at seven o'clock. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all kinds of stuff. But when I leave that district, like when I go home, I'm going home. Like, even if I take that six o'clock phone call, you know, and it's like, okay, if I can address it right there from, from my home, which a lot of stuff I can do, because, you know, I have a tech yeah. job. So uh, if I can go in and tweak something, fix something, it gets done. I walk away and I and I let it go. But I don't bring stress from my job. I don't bring it home anymore mm -hmm. because this ain't my business. Mm -hmm. I work there. And a lot of teachers, that you know what I'm saying? I was going to say, that's a very important distinction that is a part of social emotional wellness too. It's being able to make those determinations to say to yourself, okay, this is my, this is my, my, my job. This is my profession. I am giving this my all during this time, but then after this time, this time is now for me because I have to refuel. And that's very important because we, we can't continue to give out because it's a lot of giving out, giving out, giving out. Like you said, I'm giving mm -hmm. out by taking this phone call at seven. I'm giving out, giving this, um, you know, taking this call at, at, at eight or whatever time it is, whatever, doing whatever it is. There's a lot of giving and we all have to, to refuel. We have to be able to rejuvenate, to get back. We have to pour back into ourselves so that we can continue to pour into others. And what we're pouring into others is not contaminated or toxic because 
because we are um, taking that time mm -hmm. to keep to keep our our fuel clean, you know, with the things that we are doing for ourselves. It's it's going to be inherent that if we are not doing that, if we are not doing that, then we build up toxicity in the form of anxiety or whatever it may be for us. And then that's what you you give out. You can't give out what you don't have in. If that's what you have in, that's what you're going to be giving out. And so we need to be mindful of that. And that's where intentionality and the practices of mindfulness and so forth comes in to helping us to be able to do that, to find that balance between what I'm what I'm giving out and what I'm I'm also putting in to myself. Mm. And with the work that you're doing as a coach, mm -hmm. uh, that's a, again a, a different uh, type of work that requires a different skill set. How did you prepare yourself to become a coach, right? So there's the aspect of wellness that you do, the aspect that you live and incorporate into your own life. But the whole practice of coaching uh, is different, right? Because it's not telling somebody what to do. It's speaking, it's questioning, it's hearing, it's getting people to understand how they themselves can and should do the work. And I think sometimes people confuse coaching with saying, listen, you're going to teach this lesson X, Y, and Z way, or you're going to do this X, Y, and Z way instead of sort of uh, giving them the tools, right? right. So that mm -hmm. they themselves can make that decision and walk in that journey. So so how did you do that? How, how did you acquire the skills uh, to do that work? And what advice do you have for uh, entrepreneurs who want to step into the coaching space? Okay, well, um, for me, part of part of my journey as a lifelong practitioner uh, and and just spiritual person just was a natural progression into into coaching. So the coaching model that I follow is one that is inquiry based. As you said, it's all based on questions because to me the the and now we know that it's it's all about the questions. The better the question is, the better the answer that you are going to receive. And where are the answers? Answers are not external. They're always internal for what we need to do and how we need to to move forward. Yes, there can um, be a lot of input and maybe some feedback and some suggestions from other people, but everything really does have to come from inside for us to want to um, make any any steps forward. It's about guiding, coaching, facilitating that um, the motivation and the momentum that folks need in order to change behaviors. So for me, as a coach, um, I started just being an inquiry minded person. You know, I'm always thinking about the questions and so forth. And then in so doing, that led me on a path of, of knowledge and just discovering what coaching aspects um, varied from therapy and psychology and learning about all of those because at, at, at one point then I was interested in, in going in that direction. However, my field of coaching is not one that is based in psychotherapy, let's say, because psychotherapy and, and psychology is all about finding like the, the symptoms of behavior and past trauma and so forth. Whereas coaching is present and future focused. It's about what is going on right now and how we want to change that in some way or to influence that moving forward. So I am a certified coach. So I have taken um, certification co uh, courses for coaching, executive coaching 
and um, uh, leadership coaching and so forth, including life coaching, mindfulness coaching, all kinds of coaching. I'm a certified um, physical uh, trainer as well. So it goes with that. It's working with people and asking questions about what their goals are, what they want to achieve physically and mentally, and then finding ways together, supporting them in how to get there. So that's my skill set and experience. I've done this for many years. I'm not just a coach, but I'm also a practitioner. So I've studied meditation and mindfulness for many years. I practice it myself so that I have a, a really good balance of uh, knowledge and and application theory and practice. I don't just talk about any of these things. I do them on a daily basis. In terms of getting into um, coaching, it's good to have a psychology background because of course, if you're dealing with the mind and how people think and the way we um, we behaves, behave, that is a good place to start. But there are a lot of different coaching models out there. And it's about, it's about inquiry in yourself and finding out which one's um, you're interested in and what works best for you and what you kind of have a, a, a knack for. As I said, I have a, a knack for the inquiry coaching model, asking questions and getting people to to ask themselves questions. And again, thinking about the the background of the question, the question is the genesis for the answer and being able to ask ourselves better questions leads to better results. Mm. And I want those out there because you, we had a conversation uh, prior uh, to recording and you just mentioned uh, uh, mindfulness and meditation and things like that. Uh, how do you as an individual blend that with your faith? Because sometimes when people hear yeah. things like mindfulness, uh, meditation, in their minds and I'm in, 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 you know, uh, they hear, mm -mm, I need Jesus mm -hmm. or, or from our faith, from our perspective, you know, you know, it's, uh, you, you know, read the Quran, uh, make Salah, uh, do more dua. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know a lot about, you know, uh, a meditation or mindfulness. I I took a class where we did like this meditation practice. And quite honestly, like, I went to sleep because when my mind quiets, I'm out. I'm just being real with you. That's why when I, when my wife gets upset with me. She's like, why do you go to sleep with the TV on? I said, because if not, my mind is racing. And so when I'm watching TV, I'm listening to the TV and it quiets my mind, then I'm, I'm out. But uh, so when people are hearing this, and you're probably, again, working with teachers who themselves may claim a faith. Mm -hmm. How, and so in your personal life, how do you make those, these things make sense together? Okay, so there is a clear distinction between faith and mindfulness and meditation practices. So like you said, because of what, what is known, just some of the, the myth surrounding meditation and mindfulness and some of the, the popular language around it and some past understandings of the genesis of mindfulness and meditation now all in one pot and people just don't necessarily have a good understanding of a lot of it. So they just blend it all together and think whatever they think. It's, it's not just those things that's floating around in the soup. Meditation, meditation, purely, simply, factually is simply to focus on, focus on, that's it. 
So focus on whatever you want to focus on after focus on is still a form of meditating. I am thinking about or not thinking about. I can also meditate on no thought, no thought. It's depending on whatever my goal is. And that's another thing. We can put that aside for one moment. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness has nothing to do with one's faith or no faith. You can be mindful in terms of a, a state. If I am, if I'm concentrating on something, I am being mindful. If I'm being aware of something, I am being mindful. I can then also be mindful in terms of my um, my actions. So I'm going to do this with intention. That is mindfulness. There are also mindfulness practices. So in order for me to cultivate my ability to concentrate, to focus, to do one thing at a time, I can do these other activities. These other activities are skill building activities. Mindfulness is a skill that can be cultivated and built just like I can teach someone to dribble a ball. Well, I'm not the best person to teach them to dribble a ball, but just as an example, you can teach someone to dribble a ball. You can teach them to be mindful because it is a skill. The skill of concentrating, focusing on, giving your full and undivided attention towards one thing is mindfulness. That's not faith-based. So people mix it all together and think that it is, or that it's a particular religion or a culture or anything. It's none of those things. It's a skill. The same way basketball is not a faith, it's not a religion, it's not anything but a practice. And so if you address it that way, for all of the benefits that you can reap from it, then you reap the benefits without clouding it or muddying it up with all of the other things that that people associate with mindfulness and meditation and so on and so forth. All right. Thank you for thank you for, for answering the question, because I know there are some people who are going to hear this. And they're going to do what you I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it 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 happens, you know, people, you know, they. Okay, we're going to keep moving. No, they uh, absolutely do. Yeah. And then you lose, you lose when you think about it that way, though, you're losing the skill building aspect of it. And that's what we want for ourselves. And that's what we want for students. We are living in a time where students and adults, forget it, I'll say adults and students first cannot concentrate. We cannot focus. We cannot give our attention to any one thing for any duration of time. That is such a needed skill right now. Mindfulness and the practices of mindfulness help us learn how to do that. We're talking about getting students to perform better. How do you perform better academically? You focus on what you're focusing on. You concentrate on what it is about that you're 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 learning. You're able to direct your attention to this task. How do you do that? Before you can pay attention enough to learn that, okay, two times two is four, whatever it is that we're teaching, you have to know how to engage, how to direct your attention to this line of, of, of thinking and studying and and um speaking. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You learn those skills. Those are the skills that we need to be teaching. How do you teach those skills? You teach those skills through mindfulness practices. All right. So inshallah, I do not want to leave this interview without asking you about your journals. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've never practiced journaling. Well, it was well, I have attempted to sort of write some stuff down about what do I want in the future and all of that stuff. And, you know, I write and I'm like, okay, I know I ain't getting this right, but I'm just doing stuff. So uh, (laughs) tell us about your journals and how do you walk them through uh, a transformation? 
Okay, so so I I have journals and planners. So I have plant teacher educator journals and educator planners. I have student journals and student planners as well. So I'll just quickly tell you about both. So for my educator planners, my planners are for high school and elementary school teachers. So the layouts are a little bit different. There, that part of the planner is is like a traditional planner. You have your monthly layout, you have your weekly layout of the um your day to day planning and so forth. But the difference with my planners that make them not like a traditional planner that you can just pick up, you know, at uh, Staples or wherever you get a planner from, it's because it is um, built on SEL and mindfulness um, and reflective practice because we are reflective or should be reflective practitioners. So that part is incorporated. And every week there is a reflection portion. The whole planner starts off with the start of year reflection for goal setting and intentions and all of those types of things. And then it sort of follows suit every week there's a reflective session where you can look back at the week that you just spent. You can think about what are some um, things that you put in place that you want to focus on keeping in place. Because when we do when we do things that are successful, we just think that, oh, I'm going to continue to do that because it's so good, not realizing that unless we are intentional about keeping those things in mind, we won't necessarily repeat those practices. So it's a place to sort of document our successes, to focus on the, the following week, to give ourselves some time for reflection in terms of our own self-care and our air, the different areas that make up our holistic health, our um, physical self, our spiritual self, emotional self, our financial self, um, professional and personal, family, um, at work, our intrapersonal, and all of that, some area for reflection there, and then space for reflecting and setting intentions and goals for the following week. And that is repeated throughout, and then an end of year reflection, and then access to a lot of different coaching materials and things that I that I put out and have as a folder accessible for those who have the planners. So those are the planners for students and teachers. The ones for the students are a bit more structured because students need a bit more structure. It also has in there um, some of the work that I've done for my dissertation around SEL and effective study habits. So the study plan is in there for the students. The journals are a little bit different. The journal has um, a very intentional layout. There are two AM prompts that you are to look at in the morning before you start your daily journey. You set your intention. You also have your daily affirmation that you write in there. And then there are two PM prompts where you reflect at the end of your day on what you're grateful for and what you learned, any insights and observations you learned from that day. And then there's the space for actually just journaling out your thoughts. So you mentioned, and I'll end on that um, that thought, you mentioned you know, when you would come back sometimes from those PD sessions that you had and you would have like a lot of anxiety over that and you would be thinking, about this and then you watch the TV and then the TV is going because if not, then your mind is racing. That's one of the reasons people do not get the restful restorative sleep that they should get is because their mind is racing until they fall asleep. And then oftentimes it's racing even while they sleep. And so they wake up in the night or they don't sleep in that deep restful sleep that we need in order to get up and feel refreshed. And one of the ways to combat that is through journaling before you go to bed, which is simply doing a brain dump of whatever is on your mind, because we have so much on our mind. And if you write some of those things down and you get it from your head onto a piece of paper and clear your mind of it, knowing that, okay, it's not gone, but it's out of my head for right now, then you're doing yourself a, a, a favor 
by allowing yourself to release some of those thoughts so that you can get more beneficial restorative sleep as a result of that. So that's a part of the journaling process too, that you can keep in mind for moving forward. That might be something you might want to try. There's so many different ways that that you can journal, but that's just one, one practice to try. All right. Thanks. I appreciate that. Now, before we go, Doc, and it's been awesome for real having you uh, on the show. Um, what do you say to those educators? Because I, I love ending my podcast this way. Uh, who will either listen to this podcast and hear your conversation and get inspired, or they may meet you in person, or they see you at a conference and they're like, "Yo, this is fire! I want to do this myself." And they're trying to figure out how do they make this happen? What is your advice to them on how they should start to get, or how they should approach the sort of intention of building a business and how they should get started? Hmm. Let's see. Well, maybe this, this might be, this might be a case of don't do as Don't do as I do. <laughs> do as I say, <laughs> I'm going to tell them to, to do this instead to, of what, of what I do. Definitely go out there, like get, get out there, meet people, talk to people about whatever it is that you love. First of all, do, do what you love. You know, just like I said, I, I love doing this. So if it is something that you love to do and you want to, you know, take that into your own business, doing it for your own edification, for your growth, for your um, wealth building and all of those things, do that thing, do that thing and find a way to, to build a business with that. And then with that, then get out there and, and share it, you know, share it with everyone, make, um, make friends, make uh, connections, build relationships with other people. Tell everybody about about what you have and what you have to offer, and then um and then do it and then do it. Awesome, awesome! Thank you, uh, Dr. James, for coming on the show. My pleasure. It was great being here with you. I love talking about these issues, and and as you can see, can talk about them a, a, a long time. <laughs> if we had more time, we can say more about it. But thank you so much <laughs> for the opportunity to speak with you today about these important work. Um, issues. And as we move forward in in just getting everybody better, I hope that there will be more opportunities to talk more in depth about doing so and doing that work with teachers and students. Yes, ma'am. Just let me know, uh, you know, when you want to come back on, uh, inshallah, definitely I would like to have you back. All well, right. Thank you so much. And I look forward to um to being in touch with you still. You're welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and to share with your network. And though I'm on all major podcast platforms, I'm trying to grow on Apple Podcasts. So listen, subscribe. Now, make sure you listen now, people, because they do check that. Uh, give a rating and give your boys some stars because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show because I want to know that we're doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Nicolette James, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And for you, for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the Mobile University of Entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace. <laughs>